Praise the Lord. I told Brother McNeil, I, I don't feel worthy to be up here either. So whatever the age or whatever the person called to preach the gospel, that's a good way to feel, no matter who's in the house or who's not in the house. Rejoice in what we've heard. If you turn in your Bibles this morning in 1 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, I want to introduce you to someone this morning who I had never met before. 1 Corinthians 4. We're going to read just one verse there, verse 1. I'd like to introduce you this morning to the under rower. Some have referred to it as the under oarsman. But in 1 Corinthians 4 and 1, it says, Let a man so account of us, speaking of the ministers of God, as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. The word ministers right there is a very unusual word that we're going to talk about this morning. In the Greek, it comes from two words, hupo, which means under, and aretes, which means a rower. So the word is huperetes, which means under rower. Now the background in which the Apostle Paul writes this is interesting, and also the context of the historical time in which he writes this. Because if you have read the previous chapters before, you'll recall that this is where the Apostle Paul was addressing a problem in the church at Corinth where they were worshiping preachers. They were worshiping ministers. Some said they followed this one. Some said they followed another one. Some said this one baptized me. They had lifted up the ministry to an unholy level. And so the Apostle Paul brings it back into perspective here by introducing terminology that they would have been very familiar with in Corinth, which was a port city. Corinth was also near the area where from one side of the, the body of water that was on one side of Corinth, there was a, a, an isthmus or a... Or a um, an area of land, very much, if you would think about like the Panama, where they built the Panama Canal. You know, they built the Panama Canal so it would be easy getting over to the other side of the body of water. And so near Corinth, very often, ships would be lifted out of the water, carried across the land, and put in the next body of water because it would save weeks of traveling around, you know, the peninsula or around the large body of land. And so the Corinthians would have been very familiar with this term, which is translated for us as minister, it was the under rower. And so the Apostle Paul is bringing them back down to understand what the role and the purpose of a minister is. He compares it to the under rower. So what is an under rower? It's a reference to the Roman warships of this time. They were referred to as triremes. That's what they were called. The warships were called triremes. And the reason they were called tri, tri means three, is because they had three sets of rowers in the, the warship. You know, they didn't have steam engines. They didn't have nuclear power. They just had the power of the sails that they would raise up. And they also had the power of the rowers. And these oars that these three rows of, of, of oarsmen would use were about 30 feet long. Y'all are very familiar with one of my favorite movies of all time called Ben-Hur, and in Ben-Hur, you can at least see one level. That, that, if I remember correctly, that ship had one level that Ben-Hur was a chained slave in, in the galley. And if you recall, there were two or three men on each large 30-foot oar because it required that many men. This was not a little rowboat. <laughs> this was a warship that had a pointed end, and the way that they conducted their warfare with the ships back in those days is... You got up enough speed with the rowers and you ram the other ship sinking it. That would be somewhat terrifying to fight in that way in the, in the water. <laughs> and I, I assure you they didn't have a life preserver for every man. 
So the trireme warship was a very familiar warship in the days that the Apostle Paul refers to the ministers of Christ, to the preachers of Christ as under rowers. Now, trireme, as I said, means three. There were three levels of rowers. You might go and after church this afternoon, I know you'll probably be dying to go and look up a picture of that. It's very interesting. It'll show you, a, there, you can find a cutout of this. And it shows where, well, let's start with the top. On the, on the deck of the ship, on the very deck of the ship is where the officers were, most of the officers. And they also had, usually had Marines on top of the ship, which were uh, fighters, which were warriors who would board other ships from time to time. They were heavily armed. But then you go down below the main deck and you had these three levels of rowers. And on the top level, you had uh, a level of rowers. And then right beneath them, off to the side a little bit, was another level of rowers whose uh, oars would not uh, intersect with the, the level above. But then beneath that first and second level of rowers was what was known as the under rower. And the under rower, as you can imagine, was the lowest of all of the rowers, of all of the ones in the warship. And if you can imagine also the things that go on in a ship, they didn't have air conditioning. <laughs> they didn't have uh, latrines. So you can imagine just what type of filth that the under rower was faced with, from the sweat in the, in the midst of battle and the blood that often would be shed and other things that would go on without being too graphic. You can imagine the things that the under rower who was in the bottom of the ship, the lowest level of galley slave in the ship had to face. And the Apostle Paul says, let a man so account of us, the ministers of God, as of the under rowers of Christ. Now there were several aspects of work for an under rower. These are not negotiable because remember an under rower was a slave Usually they were men who had been taken captive in the Roman wars and impressed into this. They were men that could follow orders because if you didn't follow orders, you were not going to make it. Not only as a, as, as a slave galley uh, oarsman, but also just uh, in general, if you couldn't follow orders, they'd get you out of there. <laughs> so several aspects of the underroar was that they, number one, and most importantly, well, I, I don't know if you could put levels of importance, they're all important, but... They rode to the captain's beat. Again, you may remember my favorite movie of all time, Ben-Hur, and the man sat in the middle where all of the rowers could see him, and he beat the drum. He had this beat going, and the beat signified how fast they were to row, whether or not they were to completely stop and raise their oars, whether or not one side was to put their oars down and do a 180 turn as fast as they could. It was very, very methodical and very planned out and very disciplined. But the ultimate goal of the rower on whatever level, first, second, or under rower, they had, to, they had to row to the captain's beat. They also, as I said, had to row together. You know, you can imagine if one guy was laying his head on an oar and the next guy next to him on the same oar, you know, was asleep. And that one guy's trying to row it. Or one's pulling one way and one's, you can't do it. It wouldn't work. They had to row together. The third thing that, that had to take place is in regard to the aspects of work of the under rower was that they had to have their eyes on the captain. There was no other place to look. There were no windows. You say, well, couldn't they look out the little holes where their uh, oars went out? No, there was a leather uh, uh, 
sleeve that the oars went through to try to prevent water from coming in, especially for these under rowers, because they were basically sitting a foot below the water level and their oars were coming out a foot or two above the level of the water. So that you couldn't see out the side. There was no port hole to look out. There was no place to look up. As you know, right above you would have been the next two levels of rowers. All you could do was look at the captain. And not only that, another aspect of the under rower's work was that he was there for life. He was chained for life. Now, obviously, they, they disembarked when they pulled into the ports and they, gave, they got food and they got such, you know, things when they, uh, whenever they were not on the water. But when he was on that boat, he was chained to it. And another aspect about the under rower was that they received absolutely no honor. Nobody knew their names. Nobody knew what they did. Nobody could see them as they were doing the things that they did. The captain is the one who got all of the honor. So you see the Apostle Paul is using a very significant word here. And this word is not used much in the New Testament. But it is used a few key times. If you look at Luke, the first chapter, and the second verse. Luke, the first chapter, and the second verse. Here we find the writer, the physician... Dr. Luke writing the the gospel account that he gives. And I want you to notice the language that he uses because it's very significant. And we find another usage of this word under rower. He says in Luke 1 and verse 1, For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they, that would be a reference to the apostles and the ones that saw Jesus, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses, and ministers of the word. The word ministers is under rowers. He basically is saying, the men that gave us this word, the men that delivered this to us, the reason I can write this to you is because of the under rowers of the word. The Greek word there for word is logos or logos. So literally it means under rowers of the logos, of the word of God. Look over to John 18, just a few pages over. And we have an interesting account as you're turning to John 18. To tell you where this is, this is Jesus in front of Pilate. Jesus has been delivered by the mock trials and by the mock kangaroo courts of men, delivered before the most powerful authority in the land, and that is Pilate. And Pilate, it it almost seems like he's a little bit confused and wondering why these people have delivered him up. This man has done nothing wrong. He can't find any fault in him. And so Pilate kind of goes back and forth between the people. And I don't, I'm not showing, (laughs) I I don't mean that Pilate... um, deserves any compassion for the for the horrible things that he did i don't mean that but Pilate is going back and forth he's it's like he's looking for an excuse to let jesus go so in this coming back and forth in john 18 i may have said john 19 in john 18 it says this it says in verse 33 that Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called jesus and said unto him art thou the king of the jews jesus answered him and said sayest thou this thing of thyself or did others tell it to thee tell it thee of me (laughs) well that's the power of god isn't it to respond to the highest authority in the land in such a way Pilate answered and said am i a jew (laughs) thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me what hast thou done (laughs) and jesus answered and listen carefully my kingdom is not of this world if my kingdom were of this world then would my servants fight that i should not be delivered Uh, to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence. 
And Pilate says unto him, Art thou a king then? And Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And Pilate said, What is truth? That famous phrase there. But notice Jesus in verse 36. He says, If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. The word servants right there is under rower. Now notice what he says. He says, if my kingdom were of this world, then would my under rowers, the lowest of the galley slaves, then would my under rowers fight. But the under rower, by the definition of the word, was not there to fight as Jesus, as Pilate was expecting, or as the Jews might be expecting. What does the under rower do? He rose. You see? It's also worthy of note that Jesus says that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence. The definition of that word hence means basically, it means basically I'm not on either side. Not on either side. You're asking me if I'm on the side of Rome, if I'm on the side of the Jews. I mean, what, whose side are you on, Jesus? And he says, my kingdom is not from either side. Are y'all with me? Doesn't that remind us, and I won't chase this too far, but doesn't that remind us of when Joshua encountered the captain? You remember we spoke about that several times. And Joshua said, whose side are you on? Are you on our side or are you on their side? And Jesus said, neither. The captain of the Lord of hosts. The captain said, neither. Whose side are you on, Joshua? As he stood before the highest authority of man at this point, Jesus said, my kingdom is not from either side. I come from a different source. My kingdom is not of this world. And my under rowers, my servants who serve me, they serve me in a way that pleases me, and it is to row. It is to man the oar, to keep the post. Acts 26 and 16, we have the last account of the under rower that we'll look at in the Scripture in terms of the exact word. Acts 26 and 16, I want you to notice this is the Apostle Paul as he stands before King Herod. It was foretold by Jesus that Paul would stand before kings and before the Gentiles and speak of Jesus Christ. And they have brought Paul, like, just like some kind of sideshow freak, they've brought Paul out in front of these authorities, uh, King Herod and Festus and others, rulers of the land, to hear what he has to say, to hear what his, it's like a preliminary statement of his defense before he gets to Caesar, because he's appealed to Caesar because his own countrymen have tried to murder him. And so Paul, standing before King Agrippa, it says that he begins to make his defense. And he, he happily makes that defense. And in part of that defense, he recounts his encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice what he says. Let's read in verse 14 so we'll get the full context of Jesus' word. He says, when we were all fallen to the earth, this is on the road to Damascus, Paul says, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks or the goads. And I said, who art thou, Lord? This is accounting from Acts 9. He says, I am Jesus whom thou persecuted. Watch Jesus' words. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister. The word minister right there is under rower. Christ himself says, Paul... You have been what you wanted to be. You have been what the Pharisees wanted you to be. You have been maybe what your parents had raised you to be. He said, but now you're working for me. And the job that I give you is an under rower and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in which I will appear unto thee. And he goes on to speak of the message that the Apostle Paul would preach. Back in the book of Acts, the ninth chapter, when 
the Lord appears to Ananias who is going to baptize Saul. And Ananias says, wait a minute, Lord. This is the man we've heard that has warrants to arrest us. Are you sure about this, Lord? And the Lord says, the Lord Jesus Christ in Acts 9 says to Ananias, go thy way for he, Paul, is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and for the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake as an underroar. I'll tell you, I don't think you could find much of a better underroar than Paul the Apostle. As I was studying this and thinking about the steady manning of the post that the underroar, the Apostle Paul, would just continue rowing, continue rowing through all that he faced, I was... My mind was directed to Acts, the 16th chapter. Could you find any darker time in the life of a minister than when he has been beaten and had his, his clothes ripped off and beaten and he and Silas both beaten because they had helped a poor little slave girl? They'd gotten rid of a demon. Paul had gotten rid of a demon that was vexing that poor little slave girl and the men who were making money gambling off of that poor little slave girl. They reported them to the Authorities, they no doubt had the ear of the authorities and the pocketbook into the pocketbook of the authorities and the authorities took them without a trial. And Paul being a Roman citizen, you can't find any more injustice than that, brothers and sisters. And we don't, when the Apostle Paul ultimately gets released, and as I've said before, we don't find him rioting and, and gathering a group to protest and march. And, and I know there's lawful and, and protest. We have the right for that. We've talked about that before. But you don't find him rioting and looting and, and shaking his fist at the local authorities because he was wronged the way that he was. And we find that the Apostle Paul and Silas were stripped and beaten for preaching the gospel, for helping somebody out. And they stick them in the prison and said to the prison keeper, they said, uh, make them fast. Do not let them escape. Make sure they're there because we've got some more, probably some more punishment we want to inflict on them. And it says that they were made fast in the stocks. And stocks are not comfortable places to put your arms and your, and your legs in. Oh, the under rower of the Apostle Paul, he's something, isn't he? You would think he would have been down in the mully grubs. You would have think that he would have been uh, moaning and groaning. You think he would have been griping and complaining. Can you believe what they did to us? Can you believe how they treated us? Can you believe that we didn't have our rights? Uh, uh, we didn't have our rights to exercise in a proper way. Can you believe what they've done to us? No, it says that at midnight that we find these these men who were in the stocks. Wouldn't you want to be in a prison with sitting next to the Apostle Paul if you were in prison wrongfully for serving the Lord? And it says at midnight that Paul and Silas prayed and they sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them. Listen, that word pray right there means to supplicate. It means to worship. So here they are. Can you picture that? These men literally almost like chained under rowers in the stocks, except they're not able to, to actually move their arms and their feet. And as they're there at midnight, at the time whenever people would be going to sleep, at the time whenever it was time to just, just to rest, and the Apostle Paul and Silas were burdened as under rowers to pray, to worship God. And the word uh, where it says, or the, the um, phrase that says they sang praises unto God, it means to Him. That's a little unusual. We don't usually say it. We say to sing. But that definition means to Him. H-Y-M-N. To Him. They were hymning. They were lining a song there at midnight. <laughs> It also means to celebrate God in song. Can y'all picture that? That's, that's some kind of under rower that I would like to model after, wouldn't you? In Acts, the 20th chapter, the 20th verse, it says that the under rower, the Apostle Paul, as he rehearsed what he had done for them, as he rehearsed how he had taught them, it says that he had taught them publicly and from house to house. When's the last time an under rower came into your house and taught the word of God? You see, that's what the under rowers did. That's what the under rowers are charged with doing. 
2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, we find the under rower, the Apostle Paul. Once again, he's having to defend himself. Once again, he's having to say, look at, look at the proof of my life, the Apostle Paul says. If you look in the previous chapter from chapter 12, he's talking about how he was beaten, how he was shipwrecked, how he was in journeyings often, in perils, all these different things. He's just rehearsing these things. And he says, I speak as a fool because you don't understand the role that I have to play in the kingdom of God. The apostle Paul says, I'm having to talk like a foolish man and re- remind you and rehearse to you all these things that I've been through. And not only that, you get to 2 Corinthians 12, and then the Apostle Paul takes it to a higher level. Listen carefully now. As the under rower is continuing to row, he's continuing to stay at his post. The under rower says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he said, It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Uh, he says, Such a one caught up in the third heaven. I knew such a man. Verse 4, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. The under rower is telling them, I have been to heaven. (laughs) Now watch this carefully because there are people around today that say, you know, I've been to heaven. I've had this experience. Listen to me. The apostle Paul goes on and he says, I'm not going to tell you about those things because it wouldn't do you any good. He said, it did me a lot of good. It doesn't say that he can't remember. It says that I will, he says, I will not present those things to you because that's something that would lift me above the level of an under rower. You see that? So the apostle Paul says, I could glory in the fact that I've been to heaven. Let me just say this as a side note. If anybody ever comes along to you and says, well, look, I had a vision from God. You need to say, have a nice day. I'll see you later. Nobody is having a vision from God. The vision from God is right here in your lap if you've got your Bible. That's the vision from God. Nobody else is having a vision from God. Okay? How many people have been led astray because somebody said they had a vision from God or God told me this? Well, they've just elevated the conversation beyond light years, beyond anything I can hang with. Because God's never told me anything other than what He's told me through the Word of God. You see? I don't have that. If somebody says something like that, they have just elevated themselves. Maybe they have good intentions. Maybe they mean well, but they have just elevated themselves to a different level. Of all people that have ever lived, the Apostle Paul could have elevated himself to a different level. Could he not? And the Apostle Paul said, I've been to heaven. (laughs) I've seen things that are not lawful for me to utter. It's not that he couldn't utter them, but he refused to utter those things because it wouldn't have done them any good because he would have been lifted above that which he wanted them to see him as, which was an under rower for Christ. You see that? So what does the Apostle Paul do? Don't forget this now. It's very important. The Apostle Paul says, I could share with you these visions from heaven that I had. I actually didn't just have a vision from heaven. I went to heaven. (laughs) And the Apostle Paul says, I will not. Instead, he goes on and he tells them about what? He tells them about a thorn in the flesh. And he says, lest I should be exalted above measure. There was given unto me the thorn in the flesh. Messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. Have you ever besought the Lord thrice? Or ten times or twenty times that this thorn in the flesh that you may have would depart from you. I believe I can identify with this part of the Apostle Paul's ministry much more than I could. He, you went where? You went to heaven? <laughs> and the Lord, he says that the Lord said to me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. It didn't mean he had a self-harm intent. That's not what that means. It means that the Apostle Paul understood that God's grace was sufficient for him. Whether he was seeing heaven itself 
or whether he was dealing with this thorn in the flesh. He said, and I'm going to share with you my experience of the thorn in the flesh because I think that's something that you as children of God at Corinth and we as children of God today can identify with more than somebody who says they had a vision for heaven or they went to heaven. Y'all see that? That's the under rowers approach. He keeps on moving that oar. Therefore, he says, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. I am become a fool in glory. Ye have compelled me. <laughs> Paul says, you have compelled me to rehearse some things that, uh, that just put me out there beyond any of you. So I'm going to bring it back down to earth. He said, I am suffering just like you suffer. I pray just like you pray. I seek the Lord just like, I, like you seek the Lord. I deal with infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses just like you deal with those things. And the Lord's grace is sufficient to deal with those things. You see that? Now, the Apostle Paul was quite the under rower, was he not? Listen, I want to bring this together for you so you can understand my whole point of why, why this is on my mind so heavy. What has stood the test of time over the last 2,000 years? I bring you to record this day. Why are we here? Why are we here? Is it because the government has, has subsidized the kingdom of God and the church of God? What has moved the kingdom of God forward? What warship has continued to sail through all of the seas of time, superseding all nations and kingdoms of men? What has survived the kingdoms and the nation? And I ask you, what would you rather have? It is the warship of the church of God that has survived. And it's because of the under rowers of God who have delivered the logos, the word of God through the centuries. You think about that. Put that in perspective. And ask yourself, where are you drawing your strength from? Where are you looking to find the source of what's going to move you forward in these dark and uncertain times? I tell you, it's the under-rowers of Christ, the men of God that will deliver the Word of God from house to house and publicly, on the radio, on the podcast, one-on-one, wherever it may be. I tell you, it's the under-rowers of Christ that have moved the kingdom of God forward under the direction of the captain as the captain beat the drum as it went along. Are you with me? Where are you drawing your strength from? The news? Where are you drawing your source of energy from? What the next gloom and doom is, who the next president is, who the next governor is, who the next senator is, who the next representative is. I tell you, we should be drawing our source of strength from the old ship of Zion, which is the church of God, which has lived through all of those centuries, you see. And it will be living and it will be uh, sustained until the Lord comes back. And it's not going to be because the government subsidized it. It's not going to be because the, the government did or did not persecute it. It's going to be because the Lord, the captain sustained it. You hear me? What has stood the test of time? What has moved the kingdom of God forward? I tell you, there were under oarsmen. There were under rowers who were continuing to row, continuing to deliver the word of God, continuing to be there for the people of God. <laughs> Listen to me. What would you rather have? Would you rather have some shiny, polished expert whose sleek product is going to fade with time? Give me the under rower. Would you rather have some salaried preacher whose future and existence depends on a board or the finances of a particular 
congregation, they just can't support him anymore. Give me the under rower. You see how this contradicts with the slick, packaged, mega church mentality that's out in the world today? There's a guy up on a screen. Call him at 3 a.m. in the morning and see if he'll be there for you. I bet most folks don't even have his number. Who's going to be there for you to hold your hand when you're dying? Or when your child is dying or suffering? Who's going to wade through the filth and the excrement that's coming down from above in the lives of God's children? Who, who do you want? Is it going to be the newscaster that's going to tell you the next gloom and doom? Is he going to, lay, is he going to get there with you and be there in the depths of depravity and the, the depths of depression that you may experience? I tell you, he will not. But the underrowers of Christ will. Can you picture the Apostle Paul, the underrower, down there underneath? Under the filth, under the sweat, under the blood. And he's just rowing along because he's looking to the captain and he's listening to the captain's beat. <laughs> he's a prisoner of the ship. People say, well, you know, I've got my options. You know, I, I can go to church. I can not go to church. I can do this. I can not do that. I'm going to tell you, the under rower doesn't have an option. They're chained to the ship. The ship goes down, they go down with it. Happily so. <laughs> the ship sails and, and it's caught on the winds of the Holy Spirit they sail along with it. The captain says, row, boys, row. They row. They put the oars in the water. And they row. He's a prisoner of the ship. He's chained to the floor. He's bound to the instructions of the captain. When the captain says, oars in, he brings them in. When the captain says, oars out, he takes them out. Thank God for the under rowers. <laughs> I'm standing here before you today because of under rowers in my life. I thank God for them. Think about it. The under rower continues to row whenever others may be afraid of the ramming of the ship. He doesn't have the luxury to say, oh my goodness, the, ship, the, the ships of Satan are about to ram. He doesn't have the luxury to look at that and pause for that. He continues to row. He's not fearing the ramming of man or the ramming of the, of the ships of politics or the winds of change of the world or the storms of life that come upon him. And I tell you that whenever this generation... When this generation that it seems to be so self-centered and so self-focused, the I generation, the unholy trinity generation of me, myself, and I, of which I am a part of, I tell you, whenever that, when that plays out and when the hard times come, whenever they need someone, I tell you, there'll be an under-rower there that has always been at his post. You hear me? Whenever the need comes and the time is there, the under-rower will be there. You know why? I'm not talking about because Brother Tim is so faithful or Brother Luke or Brother Neil or Brother whoever is so faithful. I'm talking about because the Lord loves His sheep. He'll have an under-rower there for you. I just hope you're looking for Him. You see the Apostle Paul there? He appears as one among the under-rowers. He's not above them. He's not doing things beyond them. Now, let me tell you, how can he do this? How in the world? Who in their right mind would volunteer to be an under-rower? First of all, it's not a voluntary position. It's an impressed position. It's one that one is called to do. To be chained to the ship. To keep their eyes up on the captain. To not even be able to see what's going on outside, but just to keep rowing. What in the world would impress someone to be in that position? And even if they are in that position, how in the world could they maintain that? I'll tell you why. It's because every under-rower who is worth his salt or knows anything about the Word of God, knows that there is one who went below the under rower. You hear me? There's one whose name is the captain who continues to give the beat of the drum that went down below the under rower. 
That he went lower than the low, darker than the darkest that could be, and he succeeded in overcoming things that the underrowers could never overcome. And therefore, he is worthy for the underrower and for you and for me to keep their eyes upon him. You see? To row to the captain's beat. To row together. (laughs) Oh, is there any time that you could think of where the sheep of God is so scattered and so scared and so full of fear? I tell you, the ship of God, the old ship of Zion, is still moving forward. You may not be able to see it. You may not be able to feel the winds of the Holy Spirit from time to time. And I have a hard time feeling them also. But I'm telling you, the old ship of Zion, the church of God, is moving forward. The captain is still giving the beat to the drum. And the question is, who are you listening to? Are you listening to the latest gloom and doom? Are you listening to the under rowers of God whose minds and hearts and lives are given to the Word of God and they're immersed in the Word of God regardless of what type of change comes along? You hear me? Beneath His throne, our God descends to take on flesh of mortal man, to feel our pain and suffer loss, and one day face the cruel cross. Beneath the angels who gazed in awe, who marveled, at the holy cost, creator enshrouded in a virgin's womb, one day to lie within a tomb. Beneath the power and pomp of men, their courts of law and rules they bend, righteous advocate in courts of jest, mocked and scorned for all his blessed. Below the low, beneath the dark, he brokered peace with the wrath of God. In depths of love, the Lord went down to grasp his everlasting crown. Beneath the outcast, below the despised, the Lord rejected, there seized his prize. To regain a wretched and ruined seed, such glory confounds a wretch like me. You want to know how the under rowers continue to row? It's because the captain went down below the under rowers. It's easy. It's easy to row and keep your eyes on the captain when you see that glorious vision of what Christ has done for the unworthy, uh, shackled under rowers that serve Him, and for the wonderful and glorious people of God that those under rowers are blessed to be able to continue to man their post, row the oars of God. Row to the captain's beat, rowing together with all eyes upon the captain, chained for life and seeking no honor. The true underrower is not making a brand for himself. You may never, in years to come, I ho- in years to come, I hope nobody knows my name. I hope nobody knows my name in years to come. A hundred years from now, I hope nobody knows my name. But I hope there's people, because of nameless underrowers, not just me, but others, that there's nameless underrowers who continue to row the ship of Zion, who continue to take their source of strength and keep their eyes upon the captain. And the church of God continues to move forward under the direction of the captain. Under rowers of the Logos, the Word. Under rowers whose mission, as Jesus said, my under rowers are not here to fight or else they would. (laughs) They're here to row. The mission of the under rower is to row. The under rower is a prisoner of the captain. (laughs) A joyful prisoner because the captain was once less than an under rower. Who do you want? You want the sleek product of the shine and the glitter and the glamour that's out there on the screens and out there flashy and and bringing attention to itself? Or do you want the one that's going to come 
and hold your hand. Pray with you. Give you the Word of God. You say, Brother Tim, I'm afraid. The Word of God says a lot about fear. <laughs> and if there's an under rower around, and if it's me, I'll be happy to share with you what the Word of God says about that fear. I'll be happy to share with you about what the Word of God says about how no matter what comes, no matter how good or bad things are, the ship of Zion is going to continue to go forward. Are you on it? Are you looking to the captain? This is the kind of under rower that I want in my life. A few weeks ago, Brother Neil and I were talking about something that had happened a couple weeks before. And as y'all know, Elder David Crawford was deathly sick. He had the coronavirus. He had some other complications because of his sickness in the past. He's doing great now, praise God. But through a little sleuthing and a little putting together, talking with Brother Neil and talking with this brother here I'm fixing to tell you about, we put together some things that amazes me in the providence of God of someone who was listening to the beat of the captain and rowing. Brother John Hancock, who's from over South Georgia, on a Sunday afternoon, he felt a burden in his heart to do some rowing. That rowing would require him to go about two and a half hours away to McClenny, where Brother David had been quarantined and, and basically convalescing and in the house for days upon end. And Brother John got down there a little after five. And I know this, and I've confirmed this because we've looked at our texts. And so this dear under rower got down there around five. And while he and his wife, Lori, had their hands on the door of Brother David's house, David didn't even know they were there. They were praying for him. They had his, their hands on his door, praying for Brother David. That was at 5.10. And at 5.11, Brother David texted me. He said, I need to talk to Brother Neil, the, the medical doctor, elder. At 5.11, I called Brother Neil. John and Lori still on the door, praying. Hadn't heard from David in days. I called Brother Neil. And at 5.14, I texted Brother David back and I said, Brother Neil's going to call you shortly. 5.19, Brother Neil called Brother David, John and Lori out there with their hands on the door, praying. By 5.30, Brother David was headed to the hospital. Let me tell you, that's an under rower that I want in my life. A man who would drive that far, not calling ahead, not checking to see about the schedule, not checking up to see, well, I, maybe I shouldn't do this. He just keeps on rowing. And I believe with all of my heart that their prayers out there on the door were heard and felt and, and moved David Crawford to contact me. <laughs> I ain't even shared that with David. He didn't even know about it. That's the kind of under rower, brothers and sisters, that I want in my life. Listen to me very carefully. Get on the ship of Zion. Get off of the ship of politics. I'm not saying don't vote or be a concern with what's going on. But don't take your source, your strength, your energy from the CDC or from the governor. The governor's not going to come hold your hand if you get COVID. The governor's not going to come hold your hand if you're dying. I mean, I like our governor, but they're not going to do that. Your next president is not going to do that. Your past president wouldn't do that. They can't reach you. They're not under rowers. You hear me? Get on the ship of Zion. Get on the old ship of Zion that has gone through the centuries and sustained the test of time because the captain continues to give the beat to the under oarsmen, to the under rowers of Christ. You see that? I'm telling you to make a difference in your life. Call upon the under rowers publicly and from house to house. That's their mission. That's their job. The Apostle Paul said, I'm not going to share with you visions from heaven. He says, I'm going to identify with you and your infirmities and your weaknesses and the things that you struggle with. He says, because I'm just like you. That's something in it. Under rowers for the word of God. Under rowers in the church of God, the old ship of Zion. Child of grace, I encourage you to take no strength from anywhere other than the source of all power and all authority that comes down to us through the Holy Spirit 
is manifest in the Word of God and through preaching and through prayer and through worshiping His holy name. This may be your day to get on the old ship of Zion. I tell you, it's a great place to be. It may look beaten and battered. It may look weathered and worn. I can assure you it's been through many battles. Like the triremes of the Roman uh, military, the Navy, it's been through many battles. And it will continue to stand the test of time and ram whatever Satan brings to it. And it will be there when the Lord comes back. Where will you be?